Hello and welcome to the Joe's Art History Podcast, a podcast which celebrates all things art historical every single day. This week on the podcast, illustrator and Scottish artist Nico Paws, aka Nicole McLaughlin, is back and this time she's sharing with us her love of Art Nouveau, but in particular we have an in-depth dive into Alphonse Mucha, who is really the grandfather of the Art Nouveau movement. And Alphonse Mucha is really one of these artists who you perhaps do not know him by name, but you will 100% have seen one of his works, be that painting or be that an advertising. He's a really, really interesting artist and Nicole, who really has loved Mucha since she came across him when she was about 15, takes us on a whistle-stop tour and some of the best highlights. As well as Mucha, we have a very quick chat about the origins of Art Nouveau, the key signifiers of the movement, and we also have a look at how Art Nouveau artists really embrace the idea of not pigeonholing themselves in their creativity, but more on that in the podcast. So, I invite you to sit back and relax as Nicole and I discuss the art of Art Nouveau and Alphonse Mucha. Today we're going to be talking about Art Nouveau, which is actually a subject area that I don't really know a horrendous amount about. I don't know, it's not something that I really, I mean, we touched on it really, really briefly at university. It wasn't really anything that, I I don't even think there was a, there was like a module offered on it. I don't even think that. But it's always something that you've been interested in and you've always had... A love of it, even from like really, really little. Yeah, I, this I would say is probably what got me into art and illustration. Um, now that I look back on it, and um, it's very much when we went to Paris when we were younger, and I remember we were walking down. They used to have like market stalls, mm-hmm. and I just remember seeing all this art and it was of all these like beautiful women and like sensual poses and they were ornately framed with nature and blank space and I just was like whoa whoa what is this and I remember mum and dad bought me it was a giant poster and it was like a woman in a kimono holding a teapot and the steam was like rolling up the frame and it was just so beautiful and I still have it and you know the name of it I could not find it. It's really, really irritating me. Honestly, if I look through my phone, I'll probably find it. What I'll do is I'll send you a picture of it anyway. Yeah. Um, in framed in my house. Um, sorry, I'll send you a picture of it in frame in my house. Um, it's very much a piece that I think will always be near and dear to me. But yeah, this at the time I didn't know the name of the style, but the style is Art Nouveau. So, kind of just for everyone listening, and for actually myself as well (laughs) what is art nouveau and does it have like very distinctive characteristics is there certain did it run in a certain time frame certain color palettes what did it embrace as a movement and you know kind of key artists sort of thing like that so art nouveau was most popular in the late 19th century early 20th century so that was between the 1890s to the 1910s the best way that i could describe art nouveau is it's very dreamy, romantic, magical style. It's mm. just very decorative. Yeah. 
Um, the movement covered vast areas. So this was architecture, jewellery, interior design, painting and illustration. It was very much a movement that challenged the what all movements are, the challenge fine art and what was being taught at the time. Yeah, it's like the academic. Yeah, the academic studies. Um, although it, you can kind of still see its influence, it's just very romantic. It's I really can't adjust, and it's probably the same as um, the first podcast we did, where I was just like that. It just affects me so much. But I, it's yeah, but it's nice when art has that effect. But it also it has roots in the arts and crafts movement as well from William Morris. Yeah, yeah. So it was very much inspired by that um, and movements in Germany and stuff. This the Art Nouveau. Um, was a global movement, which I don't know. When I think of Art Nouveau, as I've said, I associate it with France because this is where I'd seen it. There's a famous metro structure. Um, it's steel framed. It's got the typography that's associated with the Art Nouveau, um, very much curved, curved round, ornate framed to enter the subway station. It's absolutely beautiful. It's, it's near the Louvre. Um, or one of them is there's quite a few subway stations yeah. that have this like kind of decorative entrance, um, but it was a style that was influenced all over the world. So bringing it home in Scotland, you can see it with the Glasgow style. So that's Charles Rennie Mackintosh is probably the most iconic. Um, in Japan, it was Shiroma. Italy had Liberty style, and Germany and Sweden had Junjin steel, so on and so forth. So there's various. Um, it basically just stood for new style and as I said before the whole point was to kind of challenge the traditional fine art um, that was already out there. So the characteristics of Art Nouveau was its use of natural form. Taking its inspiration from nature they would use whiplash lines which was basically massive curves um, in the structure so mm. this was inspired by like flower stems and vines. Um, and it would be used to kind of create this effect of open space and also to frame their work. And they would use it within the pieces of art as well as like grand structures. So there's a famous staircase in Belgium. That yes, staircase. oh, so beautiful. And even the walls are decorated. It was just, so it was just very decadent. It, everything was just, the idea was just to bring luxury and just keep a coherent theme it's it's i really it's just so yeah. beautiful i mean the whole the whole idea behind art nouveau is to this at the core of it is to have art part of your everyday yeah and have it in a functional way very much again sort of linking back to the arts and crafts sort of mantra which they held close to them was you know surrounding yourself with art having it being a functional thing a beautiful thing and art for all yeah and very much it was um, but so that's a kind of what's the staircase in Belgium called? Sorry, um, I'm not too sure, but it was this was the first. It was built in 1880. Mm -hmm. This was actually the first kind of building that donned the name Art Nouveau. Okay, this oh, is what right, the, okay. yeah, this is what kind of inspired it. So it, although I associate it with France, it actually came it's from funny, Belgium. Funny, I associate it with France as well, but it's very much because of those posters and the metro stations. Yeah. So I have given a glimpse into what Art Nouveau is, but I would like to also discuss my favourite artist of the movement, Alphonsus Mucha. Yeah, who is really like the granddaddy yeah, of Art Nouveau. Sort of circus ringleader oh, of the style. The, the big daddy. Yeah. He's just absolutely incredible. So he was born the 
the 24th of July in 1860 mm -hmm. in a small town in Czech Republic. So as a young child, Muka was shown um, promise of how well the drawer he was going to be, but he was also very musically gifted. So to fund his education, he pursued the musical aspect rather than the artistic. He was a singer and a violin player, and he would sing in the church and play violin for the church, and the church actually funded his education um, for like his secondary year. Mm. Um, and it wasn't until he was 19 was when he began pursuing, um, I guess, the artistic side of painting. Okay. So he travelled to Vienna and took up an apprenticeship as a set painter for a production company. Oh, really? Yes. But the production company then burnt down, which meant he had to leave. <laughs> Nothing to do with him. <laughs> Nothing to do with him, hope not. But this was maybe seen as like a hidden place and... After the fire, he decided to go back to Czech Republic to a town in Mikolov, where he began receiving commissions to work on murals, portraits, uh, letters for tombstones, just kind of anything decorative, which was, I guess, the kind of foundations of Art Nouveau. So, fast forward, and then Muka moves to Paris in 1888. Okay. So, like many artists, he was struggling at the time and decided to go into illustration so he would begin selling his illustrations to a magazine where he would receive a regular income oh so he worked for a magazine as an illustrator yes oh which, wow great yeah which is amazing because obviously i just associate illustration with like kids books and i do forget that it is very prominent in advertisement and i guess magazines so it's very amazing that in 1888 illustrators worked in magazines like it's just something that I can't it's just something that I wouldn't have connected yeah same actually I don't know why because it it was such an and even in Britain the print you know printing and sort of the wide distribution of newspapers and magazines had really taken off by this stage yeah. in the game so that, yeah well this was obviously due to the like the technology at the time so lithograph printing was mm -hmm. invented which meant they could mass produce I guess art and that's how they were able to kind of Get it off the ground running. Nice. Yay. All these fun facts. So, obviously, Muka was able to get his regular income, started to get his name out there, and his career took off when he painted a portrait of a famous French stage actress called Sarah Bernard. He would end up painting her seven more times in various productions she was in. So, Ham and one of them is Hamlet, and it's so beautiful. And she's, she, she's in kind of, like, I guess, male clothing. Mm. So it just looks so boss yeah that's the only way i can describe <laughs> i think what's really interesting just to go back very quickly on that portrait of sarah bernard is that she that was a really sort of last minute commission mm -hmm. that she approached him to do and it kind of really appeared overnight yeah on the streets of paris and it's so incredibly ornate and decorative so do you want to just describe it for people sort of listening so at home it is I can only imagine it's massive. A lot of his work was huge. It shows the actress donning luxurious robes. Almost kind of looks like a kimono. Almost. Yeah. Very intricately detailed. Holding what looks like... Kind of, I don't even know what kind of plant that is. Some sort of palm leaf it looks like to me. Yeah. A massive flower crown. She's gazing off to the left. She just looks really powerful. Very elegant. Her name... 
you can it's just this the I guess the fourth like it just stands out because he uses the negative space he uses white of the background of the print mm. to emphasize our names really strict palette golds blue pinks and then underneath where she's standing it says theatre renaissance just it's just such a beautiful piece but this is what kicked his career off um I guess into advertisement so that's a bit on the legend but I would like to talk about one of my favourite pieces. Okay. So I did say that the first piece that I owned of Art Nouveau was a woman in a Komodo holding a teapot. But this piece I'd actually seen, basically I think within any kind of illustrator's life or anyone who's enjoyed art, they're very much drawn to Art Nouveau because it just, I think it kind of holds this embodiment of illustration. So I'd seen this piece in one of my friend's Muka art books. Mm-hmm. And I I think I honestly stared at it for 30 minutes. I just thought it was so beautiful. I'd never seen just a woman drawn just so elegantly. Mm. And just, I'd never seen, just his technique of how he worked, which I'll go into. I've just, I'd never seen it done. Just how whimsical and how make-believe it was, but also how realistic it looked. Mm, yeah. If, so the piece is called Job. I'll describe it. It is, it was a poster for a cigarette company. So Job stands for uh, Joseph Bardot Company. They made cigarette papers. Okay. So he did two for this company, but this this one's the superior one. This is his most famous advertisement poster. This is what he's probably most known for. So it's a woman once again looking off to the left, very much in the centre of the piece. The letters J-O-B, so job, is behind her. She is essentially holding a cigarette and the smoke is rising and it frames her and it also frames the word job. And her hair just flows and twirls with that whiplash curl that was just infamous in Art Nouveau. Hmm. He would start to apply this to his models and it just made them look like goddesses. Yeah. Um, he used a mosaic pattern to frame the piece and decorative Art Nouveau shapes in the background. So it was very busy, but because the model is so pale, she just really peacefully sits and just fits perfectly in this piece. When you kind of describe all those things, I think it does sound chaotic, but there's just this elegance and harmony within this piece. Yeah, that's it. And I think how you describe the hair there, it just kind of like cascades down into these really iconic sort of whiplash curls like you said and for me what I think is really interesting though is that he's used a woman for this. He actually only ever used women as models and in his form of advertisement um, and he always would use them in this sensual sexual way. Yeah. So Muka very much knew sex sales so any piece that has a woman on it, even if it's a woman in like a family situation, she just oozes elegance and sexuality. Her clothes will always drape off her. Yeah. They're always really loose. You can always see the folds so that you can see her form. I, what I even love about this piece is how the cigarette actually kind of looks like it's a part of her. So it's resting on her pinky and the colour for the bottom of the cigarette kind of matches her skin tone. So it almost makes it look like the cigarette completes her. Ah, oh, that's so interesting. Why I think it's interesting that he's used a woman, however, is during this time, like, no self-respecting woman would be caught smoking. 
oh well he never drew self-respect on women <laughs> no but he he used photography a lot oh did he yeah so he very much he would photograph models and it would be prostitutes and that's nothing wrong with that women had to make buck and he would because they were they were normally the kind of models for artists at the time mm-hmm. so he would dress them up in costumes and he would take pictures of them and that's how he was able to kind of capture the detail because he would and he had like this massive library of I guess reference material and he very much was one of the artists to, that would use photography with people and as reference mm. um, which is something that in art school it's very much frowned upon now but what do you mean so in art school you're always kind of told they want real life of reference which is fair and they want you to like go to location and you know that's the whole point of like life drawing and stuff like that but when you look at a lot of the greats they would use photography reference because it meant they could take more time and capture more detail so I do believe that it is something that is important and it shouldn't be looked down upon but it is something and I do understand the importance of going to a location and drawing from real life but if Mocha did it so can I yeah. yeah, I think it's because there's that sort of stigma attached to the fact that it's incredibly difficult to capture something in real life. Yeah. And particularly capturing the human form mm-hmm. in real life. And it's very much from the beginning of time, really, to even now in art school. Yeah. It's celebrated as... It's like the bread and butter of art. Well, that's it. It's, it's the most sort of impressive thing you can capture really is the human form in a realistic way and a horse and a horse if you can draw a horse in my opinion you are an artist (laughs) (laughs) like any horse drawers out there please get in touch (laughs) just even i remember in like art school when i went to classical school of art for a year um there was a guy and i remember he just drew a horse just instantly and I was like whoa I just couldn't believe this it's really funny you say that actually so during or just before lockdown I'm sure it's just before lockdown the Royal Academy of Arts in London had a live stream um, life drawing course Mm -hmm. and I think it's still available and if I find it I'll link it in the in the notes below like everything we talk about there'll be links to all these things below and you can view the images on my Instagram page and on my website as well but Instead of a a clothed model, obviously because it was streaming live, yeah. they brought a live horse in. I'd have just been like exit stream. And it was really tough. It's it's hard. A, it's Horses a, are it's, such I don't yeah. understand why. They're just such a I know there's such an a tangent, but they truly are the hardest things to draw. That's why I stick with cats. They're so easy. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we sort of sort of we have kind of digressed a little from job and um, from Muka. So you said this isn't the only time he worked in advertising. What kind of other things did he do? So he did an advertisement for a German beer company. I thought you would like that one. And I've actually seen this one in person. Oh, nice. And I cried. Um, uh, he did advertisements for chocolate. He did a lot of production. I think what I really love about Muka, and I guess... What he did was he kind of shows how important illustration and advertisement can be. Mm. Um, he very much, you could even argue, graphic design. He very much combined typography, form and structure and illustration to create such beautiful, interesting compositions. I think he did, if I'm correct, because I have 18 works in advertisement. 
So, and they were always posters because this, as I've said before, because the technology at the time um, with lithograph printing meant he could mass produce um, advertisements. So, and I'm kind of showing Joe a page. I will link, send Joe this link. But every woman is just oozing elegance. And even mm. if there's a child, she is just powerful. Very, she's really serene, actually. This sort of... They just look like goddesses. Yeah. And that's what I really love about his work was... I really feel it celebrates how incredible and wonderful women are because they just deserve to be celebrated. And there's an advert for um, champagne biscuits. So this was done in 1896 and it has two women in the piece with a man, but the female just seems to have this... It's the continued thing with like the whiplash curls. It's It just looks like a halo mm. around her head. Like she's the most important thing in this room, and even your your eyes are just instantly drawn to the women that he draws in the piece rather yeah, than the men. Yeah, you're you're completely right. So I just feel Muka very much celebrated women, and when you look at his folio of work, so there's over two hundred and forty six paintings. It's all women, mm. and it's because they are just such an important subject matter um, in art and just used to add sell yeah there's one that you showed me earlier and the fit so it's a woman and a man a really good example of this and the woman in this what i'm assuming is an advert is it was oh it's a poster for printing work yeah because he's the printer this is breaking down this piece as we look at it so there's a piece kissan fills which was a a printing works. Yeah, printing press, yeah. A printing press. And the male model is very much in dark colours, blues with reds, and the female is cream and orange with blue in her hair, so it makes her stand out. And I actually believe that she's meant to be the ink because that's her printed more and more. But it just shows that the woman's meant to stand out over the man, like the female's the most important part. And once again, she's naked but draped in fabric because it just creates this kind of goddess, higher being kind of feel. Mm. And her hair just kind of perfectly moulds around her body. Just absolutely adored the way that he draws women. And even the way that he draws hair is how I'll always draw hair very exaggerated and whippy and cloud-like. Mm. And it's literally because of how Muka drew women's hair. But he didn't just work in advertising, like you said, no, no, though. No. Like he also, he was a very accomplished painter, a very beautiful painter. Yes. As I've said, over 246 paintings, um, but always, you know, with the theme of nature, and mythology. Um, there's a series, once again, that I own um, called The Four Seasons. It's the personifications of the seasons as women. It's the same thing again, ornate frames, the female is the centre focus of the piece. The draped in fabric, just even winter, who would be the coldest, just even wrapped up. She just looks so elegant and beautiful. Her hair always long and draped down with my gap, like the kind of whips as gaps to kind of show the negative space as well. And it's just individually decorated with each one having a frame. It's just... 
such a beautiful technique. And so what is this? Is this a painting series? Is this a mural that's somewhere? Painting series. Um, that was a lot of his stuff was painted series. So he would always do things in fours. Um, and it would always be of the same theme. So like the seasons, the moon. Um, there was another another series called Moon and Stars. Okay. And that was four women in front of the moon at different stages of the moon. Hmm. And where can these be seen now? Are these are these in um, private collections? Are these in museum collections? Well, I've seen a few of these pieces in real life. So in 2016, Kelvin Grove Art Gallery had a MUCA exhibition. I was very blessed to be able to go see that. And that had an intense collection of his work, included the photography that I discussed of the model, so you could see how he worked. Um, they had this mirror that was decorated the way that with an ornate frame mm -hmm. and you could dress up and it was all these like loose fabrics and they had long legs so you could act as if you were one of Mooka's girls. Oh wow. Um, that was, so many selfies were taken. I've been to Barcelona as I've said so Barcelona is another place where you can see the kind of inspiration of Art Nouveau so it was called Catalan Modernism so that's like the architecture the interior design, jewellery. Yeah, of course. And very famously for Barcelona is, of course, the Gaudi cathedrals yeah. and um, and buildings. Well, cathedral and building. But yeah, I also think... So the Kelvin Grove in, in Glasgow, for people that don't know where the Kelvin Grove is, um, it, it has a really great range of exhibitions mm. and particularly like temporary exhibitions. Like I think it's a fabulous, fabulous place. But I've never been to Barcelona, actually, so I don't... I, I don't know, I've only seen sort of images of the architecture. This was, it was for an illustration trip. Um, I was very fortunate to go and it was in the modern art museum that they've got there. Okay. There's an actual just exhibit they have of various, because there's obviously, Mooka is not the only art of a artist. Yeah, of course. But it just kind of shows a diverse work of different people. But obviously Mooka's work is there. And this is something personally, if there's a style that you love, and there's an artist that you love, and if you have the opportunity, find where you can see it in real life, because the internet does not ever do the work that you love justice. You're here. Yeah, I completely agree with you. The beer one that I'd seen, um, Bires de la Moise? Moise, yeah. Moise, so it's a German beer, um, and it is this female draped with, as per usual, flower crown, long flowing hair, she's holding the beer, very sensually, like almost like barely touching it, um, foam is frothing out of the beer, she's decorated with vines, and it's framed at the bottom of where the beer is produced. Okay. Um, beautiful colour palette, and this piece is massive. It is like two and a half metres by two and a half metres, and there's a fence in between it, but what's incredible is because it's printed with litho printing, you can see the misprints and how stuff isn't aligned perfectly. And it's so refreshing to see that even this man who I've put on a pedestal didn't print perfectly. And if you're ever a screen printer, resale printer, you understand what it's like when you cannot match up your layers yeah. perfectly. It is so destroying it's just frustrating because it is always by like an, a teeny bit and you can just see for example if it's like blue and black you'll just see the tiniest bit of blue popping out of the black mm. and it's you're just like oh but 
it's just how print works. It's not perfect. So even Muka, who to me is like one of the greats, wasn't perfect. And it just shows how this technique, although it's strenuous, it, it still created this beautiful piece of work. Yeah. But yeah, I've, as I've said, I've been very fortunate enough to see work by him. Um, But yeah, just his work was so incredible and it just... I think it's why, as well, I just always draw women because he only drew women. I really think he is just truly is the, the reason. The great. He's like my great. He's yeah. He's like my top dog. And it's weird how I've never thought of talking about him until it's, now. It's so interesting, though, the whole sort of style of Art Nouveau, Art Nouveau because kind of just what you said at the beginning of this episode, you probably don't know him by name because no. I, I didn't know him by mm. name. But you know the style. But this no. But the second you sort of showed me some images, I was like, "Oh my gosh, that's him!" Like he's he is so iconic. Yeah. And a real sort of game changer. But what's really interesting is that he didn't like to associate himself with the term Art Nouveau because it was too contemporary and too um, in in fashion, and he was so against all that. Again rebelling against the academy which was so in, in, in fashion and then all of a sudden everyone sort of very much open arm embraced this he style him to do well it. that's it he kind of became a very famous celebrity and artist overnight through this poster that we spoke about earlier of this famous actress yeah Sarah Bernard and I just think it's really really interesting and like Nicole also said there's a lot of artists that you probably don't realise fit into the term of Art Nouveau. Well, even when I was like reading more into this, it was when you'd said about like William Morris. Yeah. And then when obviously I've looked at the art and crafts movement, I was like, my God, it is. It's totally... And that's what inspired Art Nouveau, basically. Yeah. The idea of nature and celebrating it, but they were very much kind of... Yeah, it's just, everything about it is just so interesting and... Even like when I was reading that Japan was influenced by it, and then when I'd look at Japanese work, I was like, yeah. "Oh my god, of course!" Like it all makes sense. It's very interesting, actually, because why Japan played such a big role of it is because that's when international travel oh, yeah. by boats started yeah. to really open up. Because a lot of Glasgow artists, a lot of the Glasgow boys, not the Glasgow Four, but yeah. the Glasgow boys, were very um, influenced by japanese art and also they they started to run residencies between this is when the whole sort of like pairing cities with cities you know yeah. where you go somewhere and you're like birmingham paired with nuremberg germany and you're like what how is that so <laughs> so are we paired with japan or are we where uh, we're actually so glasgow's actually paired with nuremberg oh. as a city but there's it's this sort of like city pairing at I don't know why. I don't know why. Happens. I don't know sort of the history of it, but I, I know <laughs> that it happens. But you know, they opened it up for residencies. But it was it was it's kind of like what they do now. It's a cultural exchange program, yeah. and it's embracing that, and that's really really important. But also another very famous Art Nouveau artist, for example, is some is Gustav Klimt, who is oh, very yeah. famous for exactly so very famous for the Kiss. Yeah, and you know his beautiful gold series Adele Blower again very. Um, very ornate, very decorative, very dreamlike, and yeah, very sort of all-encompassing of the movement. So, Nicole, is there anything else on Mukha that you feel like it's really important that we know? And, and For me, I think it's a personal thing. I really think Art Nouveau is something that paved the way of graphic design and mm, illustration. Yeah. Um, the use of typography 
um, is something that's very prominent in a lot of this. And obviously because it was advertisement, so he would have to use typography in a way that not only would complement the work, but would also work for the advertisement because obviously he's paid to, you know, show off the product. So it's very interesting to see how he was able to kind of do what he loved to do, but also in a way that would complement the product. Mm. He never really had to give up on his true self to make pieces work. Every like even you just look at it, you wouldn't really see that as an like you wouldn't see the advertisements as advertisements. You would just see them as as beautiful artworks. But yeah. again, encompassing the message of Art Nouveau and of course the arts and crafts movement, having beautifully aesthetically pleasing art as part of your your everyday, and it's very much carried through. You know, like we've said a few times on this podcast, you know, people really undervalue art and creativity mm-hmm. as um, a sector in society and feel that it doesn't it doesn't really give as much as say what medicine or law or mm. business does but it's everything that you do the how you know the device that you're listening to this on the earphones that you're listening to mm-hmm. the computer that you're perhaps streaming this on that you know if you're out for a walk, the shoes that you're wearing, the coat, yeah. you know, that's that was all designed by an artist yeah. or a graphic designer. Yeah. You know, they're, well, they're all encompassing yeah, it's it and product, artists. Yeah, product design, architecture, illustration, graphics, interior, it's literally all interlinked and yeah. interchanged. Like, it just is the foundation of life, in my opinion. And I'm not saying that as, like, because I am an illustrator. Yeah. But it's it's something that I've always been aware of even, you know, the house that we're in was, this, like, her dad built it. Yeah. Don't it want was... a humble brag by my dad, but he's a joiner. Mm-hmm. So he was also, in theory, a designer because he had to design the house. Yeah, of course he is. And architectural drawings as well. Mm-hmm. That's something that you and I grew up completely surrounded by. Yeah. Our kitchen table covered in architectural drawings. Getting off his dad. But, <laughs> yeah, it's it's just really, really interesting. And um, For me as well, what I find amazing is when I look at something like this beer advertisement for example that was all hand drawn so he would have to hand draw and then colour and then send that off to a printer who then had to sort of colour match everything and and do it in layers as well so they would have the palette was probably it would be a strict palette so that the colours would mix because that's the kind of quick and easy way when you work in screen printing okay so your color palette was probably your primary colors when i'm actually looking at this and then it's just how you worked with your opacity levels it's so clever because i think when people think printing you automatically just assume you know photocopier photocopier or you Mm. press go and all the colors just sort of linked together but then again even in a printer though you only have CYMK, that's your yeah, four that's primary your four, colours yeah. and they all merge together. Yes, and it's it's always about how... And th- this is... Un- you could go into this in another blooming podcast show, honestly. <laughs> the colour theory and art um, and how you have to think. So I've said it a couple of times as a, I'm a part-time resale printer and that's something that when we design our pieces, we have to think the most cost-effective way to make your colour palette. So you'll have a two kind of inked machine okay so a lot of my pieces are always two colors so that i can make them quickly and you can have a spectrum of color just from those two colors so when a lot of people buy these printers they only get cmyk 
because you can actually have every colour from the four from the four from the four, four foundations basically. It's so interesting. But for people listening just really quickly, what is Riso printing? Riso printing is a Japanese printer that was invented in the eighties and it uses half tones. Okay. So it's kind of like pointism when you were talking about it a couple of podcasts ago. Okay. So it's dots and the dots will overlap and it creates the optical illusion of oh. mixing colour. Yeah. That's so, so interesting. I, it's, a, it's an amazing art form. I have a friend who I call her my Riso Queen, um, Alice um, Apprentice. She is a she did like internships of Riso printing, so she is very knowledgeable in that. So you know, I always have her stuff linked on my Instagram. But she, she's like Queen Instagram. If you ever want to look into Riso, because you work in a in a Riso print studio in yes. Glasgow. Yes. So I work. It's a collective, wild and kind. Um, so I just do it part time with another girl there. But yeah, it's something that we were introduced in university. I'd never heard of it until... Because I had never heard of it until you started using it at university. But even even <laughs> now, until you've just explained it to me, I was I knew it was printing. It's like a photocopier, but it's a screen printing photocopier. Yeah. That's probably the best way I could describe it. Because you came to Dundee when we were printing a poster. Yes. And it was a Harry Potter poster for a pub quiz that we were doing for fundraising yeah and that's when you'd really seen it work for the first time yeah do you know what see talking about the printing process of these ad advertisements and how you would have to do it in layers it's just brought a whole different level of appreciation and awe really of the skill and the time and well lithograph the creativity well lithograph printing was he would need to paint this in black and white well he'd only paint it in black yeah. And then burn the image onto the plate and then you would ink up with the colour that you wanted to use. By hand. By hand. It's it's something that they offered in our university as well, but it just is such an intense way to print. So I know a screen printer through work and she obviously works in layers with her colours, yeah. but again, whenever she has to because you have to um almost sort of soak the image onto your screen yeah. but you have to soak every layer yeah. onto a different screen mm -hmm. and it's kind of like what so so say you wanted something that's red blue yellow green because obviously all these colors are now available but if you wanted to do like like a four color you would need four different screens and each screen you have to sort of mark on the screen where each color is it's mm -hmm. It's so time consuming. Yeah, it's a very intense process. But at the time for them, lithograph, that was the dogs. I'm not going to say it, but we all know everyone was like, this is incredible. We can mass produce. But it would have been a timely mass production. Do you think if um, if Mooka came, like suddenly came back to life and like saw what you could do now at, like, with like Photoshop, I think it would just probably blow his well, it's, mind. It's so interesting, though, because if you, there's uh, so many illustrators that I follow who you can, you know why they draw the way they draw really and it's from interesting yeah just art nouveau like you can see the twirls you can see how they use framing it's just me personally it's definitely what inspired yeah when i do kind of my more serious stuff that's yeah. where i take a lot of inspiration from i think what i really like about art nouveau very much like the arts and crafts movements they really championed not pigeonholing yourself mm -hmm. as an artist and I think that is something in life people love to pigeonhole you oh you do this or you do that like oh you're an illustrator and you draw cats yeah but you can also draw 
yeah, I can draw anything. Yeah. If you want me to draw, I'll draw. Also, it. if you want to draw something very realistic, you're a very talented artist. Yeah. Like you can do it. Like I just choose not. To. <laughs> no, but it's your style, and you sort of you champion yourself. Yeah. But oh, I've completely lost my train of thought. Yeah. So you know, so Art Nouveau completely stretched, like you said previously. It wasn't just sort of printing and design. It was jewelry. It was furniture. It was interior. Um, I've got it, it was clothing. It yeah, was everything. It was, yeah, it was. It, it was an actual form of. It was like a way of life, basically. Um, it just if you, it just was. You were surrounded by it. Yeah, and then of course it very much led on to, um, Art Deco. Yeah, but coming back to it, like we said earlier, you know, it also encompassed stained glass as well, which is something I love as an art yeah. historian. I love stained glass. And of course, the most famous Art Nouveau stained glass artist is, of course, Tiffany. Oofed. Yeah, Tiffany Glass. And there's some really beautiful, incredible examples, actually, when we were like researching for this podcast. And it was, again, sort of mentioning, um, you know, Gustav Klimt, Mucha, Charles Rennie Macintosh, mm -hmm. and then when it said Tiffany, whose full name is Louis Comfort Tiffany, um, I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, absolutely. It's funny when you hear the name and then you just see where they would fit in that kind of, obviously we don't want to pigeonhole the style because that wasn't the point, mm. but you can see like how it would fit. Every person kind of fitted into that era and obviously they didn't have to work the exact way that I associate with Art Nouveau but when you see their work you can understand why it's associated with the new art form movement. Yeah however I'm just going to sort of jump in and give a very sort of like gender balance here because we've spoken very about heavily men. about male Sorry, artists. I really hate that but. Well yeah but there's also but I think within the canon of art history like or with the canon of history in general you know mm. it's it's written by the men. victors it's written by the head honchos which, of course, for a very, very long time were men. But I would just like to point out, you know, just going from what I know, there was two very, very talented, and, and I would go as far to say, actually, I am going to go as far to say, they were way more talented than Charles Rooney McIntosh, and that was his wife. Oh, her stuff was stunning. I've seen her stuff yeah. in Dundee. So Margaret MacDonald McIntosh, his wife, who actually, sadly, she... Charles Rennie Macintosh to the later in the later years of his life, he actually took really unwell, mm -hmm. and she kind of became the um, sort of logistics manager of Ooh. his business and his architectural projects. So she's a really, really interesting person. More interesting than that, and actually my favourite Glasgow artist, even though she, they were both born in England, actually, but they studied and brought up in Glasgow. Their father was a, a Glasgow architect, is Francis, uh, Francis MacDonald McNair, who married um, James McNair. And essentially the four of them met at Glasgow School of Art mm -hmm. and before obviously Charles built the very now infamous Burnt Down Art School Burnt Down Art School <laughs> but was very beautiful um, very sad twice now twice now twice yeah, that, that died Charles that was turning in his grave just been like I don't want this to keep going on oh it was just awful anyway there are lots of very important women artists um, in Art Nouveau and if you're listening and you think oh actually I think I would quite like another episode on women in Art Nouveau mm -hmm. then let, write in and let us know we'll happily do it um, yep. or if you're thinking do you know what I know the name I know the sort of head honchos 
but actually maybe we should just do one yeah, you know like thank you. the well, underdogs everyone loves a good underdog story it's a it's a challenge for me because obviously i'm just focused on the male aspect and obviously i'm like women were just the focus of it because they were the subject matter but i've never actually looked into the women that did it and that's purely that's on my shoulder so i really should educate myself so yeah i would like to come back redeem myself and let's talk about the women who were in art because I always talk about men <laughs> but I always talk about men as well and and yeah and there's women, a... you're in our hearts we do love you it's just you make very beautiful models yeah amazing Nicole thank you very much for coming back on um for and sort of leading us through this wonderful journey of Art Nouveau and more importantly Muka and introducing me to well introducing me in a way but sort of highlighting his importance yeah. and who he was as a person. Thank you very much. Uh, before you go, just one more time, where can people find you and what you're up to? So you can find me at Nicopaws underscore on Instagram. Um, that is my cat illustrations. And um, I am currently freelancing um, at Wild and Kind. And I'm also doing... I'm trying to up my folio, so that's at Nico McLaughlin underscore. So that's my kind of more professional big boy drawings to show yeah. my diverse folio. And just one more time, in case you missed it, Wild and Kind is a printing studio. It's a printing studio in Glasgow. It's a female collective. So they print garments, they do embroidery, resale printing, and they are slowly introducing screen printing. Oh, that's nice. Yes, so all kind of garments. So it's very much to help artists kind of up their careers um very eco-friendly vegan fair trade we love it we support it um but yeah it's such a great place to work and also such great women to be around so i definitely recommend you checking them out well then you definitely have to come back and do women in art you know i am so sorry women of the world women in the past i will redeem myself i promise their ghosts will haunt me until i do this podcast (laughs) part two baby Part two coming soon. Thank you <laughs> so, so much as always, Nicole. And yeah, we'll see you very soon for Women in Art Nouveau. I know we've put out a call. Please still do get in touch. But, but... I'm taking up all the spots, baby. <laughs> but you're coming back and we're going to... Yep, yep, I'm going to redeem myself. I'm sorry. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> and there you have it. Another episode of the Joe's Art History Podcast. One more time, I would just like to thank Nicole for coming on and talking to us all about Alphonse Mucha and essentially the history of Art Nouveau. Um, I hope you learned something. I found this chat so, so interesting and how it very much sort of led very naturally into a very brief talk on the history of print. And if you'd be interested in hearing a part two on Art Nouveau, where we focus more on the women within the movement and the women artists who really sort of carved our name for themselves then please do write in and let us know although I think Nicole's fairly determined that regardless of people saying yes or no she's probably going to do one (laughs) as always if you would like to get in touch to discuss what you heard on the podcast you can email joesarthistory at gmail.com or you can find me on instagram at joesarthistory my dms are always open and happy to answer any questions that you have As always, all images that we've discussed throughout this podcast can be viewed on my Instagram and my highlights reel. And this will episode 19, so if you go along on the highlights reel, try to find the little sort of microphone 
it says 19 next to it and that is where you'll find all the images for this or you can just go onto my website which is www.joesarthistory.com and if you go to the tab that says podcast if you scroll all the way down you will find the images there as well if you've enjoyed the podcast please make sure that you like rate and subscribe and if while you are listening you think you perhaps know someone that would be interested in hearing this topic then please do feel free to pass this podcast along to them it would be great to get more people listening to the show as always my name is Jo McLaughlin I have been your host and your resident art historian and I look forward to welcoming you next time on the Joe's Art History podcast until then keep learning and remember art is for all. Bye.